The following sermon is by Josh Tancordo, the teaching pastor at Redeeming Grace Church in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Redeeming Grace is a gospel-centered church that values rich biblical teaching and authentic Christian community. Learn more by visiting our website at redeeminggracepittsburgh.com. One of the distinctive features of our church is that we typically like to go passage by passage through uh, books of the Bible. So right now, for example, we are in the middle of a journey through the book of Acts. But since this is kind of a special Sunday, our recovenanting Sunday, I thought it'd be good for us to push the pause button on that journey and instead turn our eyes to First Peter. Uh, this morning is a great opportunity uh, not only to celebrate what God's done in the past, in bringing our church together and blessing us the way he has, but it's also an opportunity to take stock of the present and even to spend some time considering where God would have us go in the future and what he would have us focus on because it's so easy to begin drifting and diverging from the mission God's given us. And at first, we might only be diverging from that course by a single degree, which might not seem like much, right? Like if we're supposed to be going this direction and we're instead going this direction, it might not seem like a big deal at first. But what happens as you continue that divergent direction? You become further and further from where God wants you to be right? And so eventually, if, you know, we, we do that long enough without any course corrections, you, you eventually end up in an entirely different galaxy from where God wants you to be. And so that's why every once in a while, it's good for us to take a step back and consider where we are as a church and what direction we're headed in. Are we diverging from the course God has for us by even one degree? Are there any course corrections that, are, that we need to make? And so that's what I'd like to do this morning. And as I was thinking about what the Lord would have me share, there was one word that kept coming to my mind over and over again. Stewardship. And not just with regard to money, which is what most people think about when they think of stewardship, but really with regard to everything. So we'll be looking primarily at 1 Peter 4, 10 and 11, since this passage serves as a pretty good introduction to the biblical concept of stewardship. Here's what it says. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength God supplies, in order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So Peter's writing these things to Christians throughout the region of modern day Turkey who were enduring some significant persecution for their faith. And in verse 10, he reminds them that each one of them has received a spiritual gift. That is a God-given ability to minister to other Christians in some way through the power of the Holy Spirit. Every Christian has one of these gifts. 
And in verse 11, Peter mentions two categories of gifts, speaking gifts and serving gifts. He says that whoever speaks should do so as one who speaks oracles of God, and that whoever serves should do so as one who serves by the strength that God supplies. By the way, you can learn more about the gifts, including different kinds of gifts that are out there by reading other passages in the Bible, like Romans 12, 3 through 8, and 1 Corinthians 12, 4 through 31. But Peter's point here is that God's given these gifts to his people because he wants us to use them. Again, as Peter says in verse 10, as each one has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Don't just let your gifts sit on a shelf and collect dust. Use it as God intended. And the key word I'd like us to observe here in verse 10 is stewards. Stewards. <laughs> Back in ancient society, those who were wealthy would often entrust their property and possessions to professional stewards who were skilled at managing those things. It might be land or money or other kinds of resources. And a steward's job was to manage what was given to him in accordance with the owner's instructions. So a steward didn't own all of those things. He was simply managing them and was accountable to the owner. Yeah, a good modern day parallel would be a financial advisor, right? As you know, if you uh, entrust your money, if you turn over your money to a financial advisor, that person isn't just free to do whatever they want with it, right? Like if they take your money and use it to take their family on a, a cruise to the Caribbean, that's not good, right? Like that's generally frowned upon a little bit. There's a, a good chance if a financial advisor does that, that they would do some jail time afterwards. I hope it was a good time, right? Because they would be doing jail time because that money was yours, not theirs. And therefore needed to be handled according to your instructions. And likewise, according to Peter, it's the same way with what God's entrusted to us specifically spiritual gifts, but also everything else as well. God expects us to be faithful stewards of all that he's entrusted to us. And that's the main idea of this passage. God expects us to be faithful stewards of all that he's entrusted to us. And not only are we as individuals called to be faithful stewards of God's blessings, our church as a whole is also called to steward those blessings faithfully. You know, as I look back on this past year, uh, I'm quite honestly just overwhelmed at how good God has been to our church and how much he's blessed us. Uh, the most obvious, you know, tangible example of that would, of course, probably be our building that we purchased and that we hope to start using in just four weeks or so. Uh, that is a tremendous blessing. Also, uh, God has uh, certainly blessed our church financially. Um, you know, last year uh, at this time, we, our church was taking in an average of about maybe $12,000 a month 
But over the course of this past year, that number has risen to, I think, the most recent six-month average of um, monthly donations has been around seventeen or 18,000, which is a, it's about a 40 or 50% increase. And, and we praise God for that. And, and we've not seen a much increase in expenses either, so that we're essentially having a surplus of $5,000 a month that we're able to put toward the building. And then finally, God's blessed us with people. As well. I mean, we've seen an increase in attendance that roughly corresponds to that increase in giving, around a, a 40 or 50% increase in the past year as well. And so God has been, I mean, incredibly good to our church. And, and part of what this morning is about is praising God for those blessings, right? Like acknowledging, being very diligent and deliberate about acknowledging that God is the source of these blessings for our church as well as the other blessings that he's given us of a more spiritual nature that you know, aren't as easily quantified or measured as the, uh, the, the ones I just shared with you, but spiritual blessings he's given that are perhaps even more significant. God has been so good and so faithful to answer our prayers. And yet the question is, how will we steward all of these blessings that God's entrusted to us? Because make no mistake, God's given us these things for a reason. We're called to use these blessings, not for our comfort, but for God's kingdom. Let me say that again. We're called to steward these blessings, not for our comfort, but for God's kingdom. For example, the building, right? Our goal isn't to make the church building as nice as we can possibly make it for our comfort, right? We're not viewing this building uh, simply as a, a, a haven or a, a retreat, certainly not as some kind of country club, but rather as a tool. This building is a tool for reaching people with the gospel and for making disciples. That's how we're viewing it. We want to steward this building for maximum gospel impact. Just look at what Peter says in verse 10. He states that we're supposed to use our spiritual gifts to do what? To serve ourselves? No, <laughs> to serve one another. There's a principle there. God blesses us so that we can be a blessing. And that applies just as much to our church as it does to each individual Christian. And just to be candid with you guys, one of my fears as we enter into this uh, next chapter in the life of our church is that our church would become inwardly focused. Um, now, truthfully, I think it's at least possible that we might already be inwardly focused, at least to a certain degree, uh, because here's why I say that, that despite our growth in attendance, we haven't really seen that many people come to faith in Jesus this past year. And it wasn't like that in previous years, like before COVID quite as much. And so I, I do think some of it might be related to COVID. It seems like COVID has put us, even as individuals and maybe as a church collectively as well, into this, this mentality of what we might call survival mode, right? Where we're just trying 
to get by. We're trying to survive. And as a result, we're not really reaching out quite as faithfully as we once were. And here's the thing. I don't think that getting into the building is going to fix that. It might get us out of survival mode as a church, but I think it could very uh, easily uh, get us into another mode, uh, what we might call maintenance mode, where we're just, we're getting a little too comfortable, right? A little too easy. And uh, as a result, we lose much of our motivation for reaching people who are far from God. And so if I had to concisely state the vision that I believe God is calling our church to for this upcoming year, I would say that it involves us getting out of survival mode, avoiding maintenance mode, and stepping into outreach mode. Again, getting out of survival mode, avoiding maintenance mode, and stepping into outreach mode. And let me sort of paint that picture for you. Here's what uh, that would look like, I believe. Just super practical. Three things. First is engaging guests on Sunday mornings. You know, it's really easy to spend all of our time on Sunday mornings before and after the service just talking to the people we already know, people that we're already friends with. But I would like to challenge you to prioritize uh, having conversations with guests. You know, studies actually tell us that most guests um, actually make a decision about whether or not they're going to come back to a church um, within the first few minutes of their arrival, even like a subconscious decision forming in their mind. And to me, that's pretty amazing that it, before often the service even starts and before they've heard the sermon and uh, the number one factor that most people are considering is very simple. It's how friendly and welcoming the people of the church seem to be. Not just the guest welcome team, you know, people with name tags, but like people who are just regular people. It's not their job to care. Like they just care, right? They're just friendly and welcoming. Um, and here's the thing that you, uh, those of you who are attending regularly, have been here for a while, you might think that our church is pretty friendly when in reality, it may not be quite as friendly as you're thinking. Because here's what happens. Think about it. You come in and talk to your friends. And of course, your friends are friendly to you, right? Imagine, I mean, if they're not friendly, that's kind of sad. You might need to get some new friends, I guess. But your friends are friendly to you. But just because your friends are friendly to you and just because you're friendly to them, that doesn't necessarily mean that our church is friendly to others, right? So I'd like to challenge you, even if you're not a huge extrovert, to step out of your comfort zone a little bit and just introduce yourself to guests, right? If you don't recognize someone or, or maybe you see them sitting alone, just introduce yourself to them and engage them in conversation and, and help them feel welcome. In fact, if you see them sitting alone and, you know, if you're the same gender, it seems like they'd appreciate it. Feel free to sit with them, right? You know, it's interesting that a lot of Christians uh, often complain about not having as many opportunities to evangelize as they'd like, and yet they miss the opportunities that are right under their nose. <laughs> and on Sunday morning, no less. 
Now, obviously, many of our guests who, who come here are already Christians, uh, but surely there are also plenty who aren't. So are you being deliberate with them? And by the way, a lot of, there, there's a lot of newer people here. So just so you know, if you've been here like three or four weeks, you're like in the category of who I'm talking about. All right. <laughs> you're not even hardly a guest anymore. You're like a regular three or four weeks. You should be doing this. All right. So are you being deliberate about engaging people? Yeah, listen, if you see a guest who's sitting alone and no one's talking to them, there should be emergency sirens going off in your mind. If you ever want to know what's going on in my mind before and after the worship service, I'm looking around for people who seem to be guests. And if I don't see someone being engaged in conversation, there are almost audible emergency sirens going off in my head. Just so you know. Second, uh, perhaps the most central feature of our church being in outreach mode is that we are having regularly uh, gospel conversations with people in our lives during the week. You know, a few weeks ago, we saw in Acts 8.1 that when the church of Jerusalem began to be persecuted, it says they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. And then, then in verse four, it says that those who were scattered went about preaching the word. So a little bit of a quiz here. Who were the scattered ones who went about preaching the word? Like, was it the apostles or leaders of the church? No, verse one specifically told us that the apostles were the only ones who weren't scattered, right? Couldn't have been them. It was everyone else in the church. The so-called ordinary Christians who went about preaching the gospel. As I heard one pastor say, and as I, I mentioned a few weeks ago when we preached this, it was the Joes, not the pros, who went about preaching the gospel in Acts 8. And that's a great picture of God's call for every Christian to be a missionary in the places and among the people where God's placed them. And that means having gospel conversations, <laughs> just conversations where you're talking about Jesus with people. Hopefully we can have more of those this upcoming year. And uh, that includes having evangelistic Bible studies. Um, before COVID, we used to have about maybe three or four evangelistic Bible studies at every, any given time. But now, you know, honestly, not so much. Uh, a few, but, but not what we were doing. And so hopefully we can get back to that. And, and considering the increase in our attendance, not just match what we were doing, but even surpass what we were doing. And uh, by the way, we do plan on having a very robust evangelism training class at some point next year. This will be a pretty hefty 15-week class with required reading and homework and, and some things I, I really think will, uh, I pray at least, will be helpful to people in learning to just be faithful gospel witnesses in their day-to-day -day life. So just kind of have that on your radar for this upcoming year. And then finally, a third feature of our church being in outreach mode is, well, outreach events. So we have guest engagement on Sundays, gospel conversations during the week, and now outreach events. Uh, one of the ways we hope to be a good steward of the, the building God's blessed us with is by using that building to do things that we weren't previously able to do. So for example, one of the things we, I'm really excited about is having a monthly diaper bank. 
where moms in need are able to come to our church building um, one Sunday afternoon each month and be greeted by moms from our church of young children who are able to, to be there and, and connect with them. And um, just they will be getting not only diapers, of course, but also getting the gospel. Uh, we've done a little bit of research and no other church in this area is doing that. And so it certainly seems to be a, an area of great need because despite some of the very visible affluence of this area, there are still plenty of people, believe me, plenty of people who are in financial need, including many moms with young kids. So we're going to hope to do that every month. And also, we also hope to do a, a pretty significant car care event twice a year where we offer people in the community free oil changes and wiper replacements and other just very basic maintenance services. Uh, that's something that will obviously require a lot of uh, volunteers to do. I've kind of mapped it all out. I think it'll about, be about 25 volunteers when you consider everything to have six bays of cars being worked on in our parking lot. Um, but I do think we can do it. I've talked to other pastors who have done it in different states. And of course, you know, the key is that when someone is getting their, all those things done to their car, they're going to have some time to kill. Probably about a good 45 minutes of free time that they will spend most likely in our guest welcome center and they'll have refreshments there. And there, you know, there might just so happen to be some people in that guest welcome center from our church who are very interested in talking to those people about Jesus and inviting them to an evangelistic Bible study that we have set up specifically for people from that event. So I share all that just to let you know, you guys know that we have got plans for our building for this upcoming year. And we do also hope to continue things like picnics in the park, maybe two or three of those next year, and even some love your neighbor days once in a while. And so hopefully in all of these ways, everything I've talked about just now, we as a church can get out of survival mode, avoid maintenance mode, and step into outreach mode. Because guys, here's what we believe. We believe that even though we're certainly called to steward the blessings God's given us that I mentioned a little while ago, the ultimate blessing God's given us to steward is the gospel, right? In verse 10 of our main passage, Peter talks about being good stewards of God's varied grace. And we know from the context that the particular manifestation of grace that Peter has in mind is spiritual gifts. But the phrase God's varied gifts is broad enough to encompass all the ways God's uh, been gracious to us. The chief of which is the gospel. We're ultimately stewards of the gospel. We find this confirmed in 1 Corinthians 4.1 where Paul refers to himself and the other apostles as stewards of the mysteries of God, which is a phrase Paul likes to use quite often to refer to the gospel. So he directly calls us stewards of the gospel. And I don't think it's too difficult to see an application there, not just for Paul and the other apostles, but for every Christian as well. Guys, God's entrusted our church with so much that I mentioned, but also something infinitely more valuable than anything I've mentioned. Something infinitely more valuable than a building or money. He's entrusted us with the most precious commodity that's ever existed. The message of Jesus. 
And we're called both to guard that message so that it doesn't become uh, distorted or even diluted and to focus our efforts on proclaiming that message to the world in various ways. The greatest need people have is the need for the gospel. It's a need for Jesus because the greatest problem people have is the problem of sin. See, the Bible says that in our natural condition, each one of us is born into a state of rebellion against God. You know, we have, you know, quite honestly spurned God's truth and God's will and instead tried to live out our own supposed truth and our own will. And the Bible calls this sin and it says that because of our sin, God will justly judge us by sending us to hell for all of eternity. But the good news of the gospel is that God didn't leave us in that condition, right? He sent us a savior in the person of Jesus. He sent his own son to come to this earth as a human being, to live a perfectly sinless life that fully satisfied God the Father's righteous requirements, and then to die on the cross in order to make the payment for our sins. So essentially, Jesus took the punishment that we deserved on himself. He suffered the full force of God the Father's judgment so that we, we wouldn't have to. And then after Jesus died, he of course resurrected from the dead in order to show that everything he taught was true. And with the result that we can be saved from our sin and from the condemnation we deserved as we look to him for that rescue. And that involves repenting of all of our misguided attempts to earn God's favor on our own and looking to Jesus as our only hope of ever being restored to a right relationship with God. So this is the message that God has called us to steward. And not only that, it's also the reason why we desire to reach out to others. You know, guys, understand, this isn't just about building some like successful organization, okay? We desire to reach out to others precisely because of the way in which God's reached down to us. We want to reach out because God has reached down. You know, the more we consider the radical nature of God's love for us, and the way God rescued us and was gracious to us, even when we were in such a helpless and hopeless condition, man, it should make us want to reach out to others and, and help them experience the grace we've experienced ourselves. You know, it's kind of like a woman, maybe, who's been, who's been rescued from sex trafficking, having a passion to help other women who are caught up in sex trafficking. Or maybe perhaps uh, someone who's found help for a drug addiction, desiring to help others who are caught in a drug addiction. Only the difference here is that we're explicitly commanded by the one who rescued us to be a part of the rescue of others. 
So hopefully you want to do that. In fact, if, if your heart doesn't ache for people who are far from God, then I don't know. I, it's just hard for me to see how you could truly know God. Like, I'm not sure it's possible for us to receive God's grace without subsequently having a passion to share that grace with others. And that's precisely the desire out of which Redeeming Grace Church was birthed in the first place. Understand that we started this church with the vision of being a missionary outpost and reaching the South Hills of Pittsburgh with the gospel. I mean, that's why we named it Redeeming Grace Church, because we want to reach out with the message of God's redeeming grace that he offers to us in the person of Jesus. And so as I think about this past year, like I said, I'm overwhelmed with gratitude for all of God's blessings and all of God's goodness, both the the measurable and the immeasurable. I mean, this, this has certainly been a season of growth for our church, but I'm praying for a season of harvest. I'm grateful for the season of growth, but man, am I praying for a season of harvest. And I believe that harvest will involve each one of us stewarding our lives for the sake of the gospel. You know, so far we've been applying this text in 1 Peter primarily to our church as a whole and talking about how our church is called to steward the blessings God's entrusted to us. But the deeper you get into the idea of our church stewarding its blessings, the more it ultimately comes back to us as the individuals who comprise this church stewarding our blessings. Because that's who the church is. It's not some nebulous organizational entity. It's us. So think about your life and all of the things that God's given you. So much, right? He's given you time and money and certain spheres of influence and relationships and skills and abilities. It all comes from God and ultimately belongs to God. It's all his. And I'm sure like, you know, we, we kind of know this, but sometimes we kind of don't, right? Sometimes we kind of forget. I kind of like uh, maybe a toddler who, um, or a young child who, who is convinced that things are theirs. Uh, maybe imagine you're a parent of a, a three-year-old, let's say, and your three-year-old is, you know, at the dining room table eating a, a small bag of chips. And so perhaps you ask your, your three-year-old whether you can have one of their chips. And that could go one of two ways, right? You know, sometimes they might be in a very generous mood and then they might gladly give you one of the chips that they have. Whereas other times they might say something like, no, these chips are, oh, mine. Which is kind of crazy when you think about it, right? Because I mean, you went to the store and got the chips. You paid the money to purchase the chips. I mean, you probably even opened the chip bag for this three-year-old. And somehow they've got it in their mind that the chips are theirs. That's probably the favorite word of, of a child that age, right? Mine. These chips are mine. You can probably see where I'm going with this, right? 
unfortunately, this, this issue is not always limited to three-year-olds. So how often do we think in the terms of my life, my time, my money, my body, my house, my car, my job, my friends, as if it really were mine. How easily we forget that everything we have belongs to God and that we're stewards instead of owners. The fact is, guys, that each one of us is going to have to stand before God one day and give an account to him for how we've stewarded the blessings he's given to us. So just imagine that you, that you died today and you had to give that account in just a few hours. What would your report look like? Have you been using the time on this earth that God's entrusted to you? Have you been using the money he's given you? How faithful have you been in the relationships he's given you with people who aren't Christians yet? How faithfully have you been leveraging your life and all of the blessings of your life for the sake of the gospel? If you have time, I encourage you to read the resolutions of Jonathan Edwards, uh, a famous pastor and theologian from the 1700s. Um, you can find these as resolutions pretty easily online. They total 70 in all, and Edwards wrote them as a young man with the intention that they would be the guiding principles of his life. Um, they also demonstrate the conviction Edwards had that he was called to be a steward of every aspect of his life. So let me just read a few of them for you. Um, resolution four, resolved. Never to do any manner of thing, whether in soul or body, less or more, but what tends to the glory of God. Resolution five, resolved never to lose one moment of time, but improve it in the most profitable way I possibly can. Resolution six, resolved to live with all my might while I do live. Resolution seven. Resolved, never to do anything which I should be afraid to do if it were the last hour of my life. Resolution 17, resolved that I will live so as I wish I had done when I come to die. Resolution 30, resolved to strive to my utmost every week to be brought higher in religion and to a higher exercise of grace than I was the week before. Resolution 43, I think this is especially relevant for stewardship, right? Resolved, never till I die to act as if I were in any way my own, but entirely and altogether God's. Then finally, resol resolution 52, uh, Edwards writes, I frequently hear persons in old age saying how they would live if they were to live their lives over again. Resolved that I will live just so as I think I shall wish I had done, supposing I'd live to old age. So again, how faithfully 
are you stewarding? What God's entrusted to you? You know, I appreciate the way, going back to 1 Peter, in which Peter concludes verse 11. After talking about stewarding what God's entrusted to us and doing so by the strength and empowerment God supplies, he reminds us of the purpose for it all. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. There's no goal more ultimate than that. In order that in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. Friends, at the end of the day, this isn't our church. It's God's church. And our greatest desire should be to see God glorified. And I believe the way we can do that most faithfully this upcoming year is by being faithful stewards of the blessings God's given us this past year and that he will, Lord willing, give us in the future. We want to use it all to do what our mission statement says, that we have printed on the front of our bulletin just about every week, even though I know it probably blends in for most of us. And that is to glorify God by helping people know Christ personally, grow to spiritual maturity, and become disciple makers themselves.